0: Welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollack, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have a great show for you this week. As always, Stephen Garrett will be here to talk with me about Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, the latest offering from Marvel Pictures, the Marvel Studios, the only pop culture universe that any of us will ever need to consume, whether we want to or not. But first, we're going to start the show off by doing something a little different. I'm going to talk about uh, everything we've put up on the site in the past week. I wanted to sort of highlight the uh, variety of material that appears on Book and Film Globe. Our brow goes so high that you can't see over it, and it goes so low that you can't see under it, and we cover... Everything from the most obscure literary topics to the most low-end pop culture imaginable. And we do it all with the same level of intelligence and enthusiasm. So let's start off. Uh, we're going back, back in time, to February 13th, 2023. We published an obituary for Burt Bacharach. Uh, Stephen McCauley, our now-frequent contributor, wrote about Burt Bacharach and how he changed music and movies forever. Talked about his legendary composition of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which appeared kind of incongruously in uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in 1969. You know, we kind of take for granted nowadays that there will be popular music embedded in movies. People will uh, feature already established songs. They'll just pay money for it. But back in when um, Burt Bacharach was writing original songs for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or for... Uh, James Bond movies, or for What's New Pussycat, that wasn't so common. So the fact that the Academy was nominating songs like Alfie from Bert, uh, from the movie Alfie by Burt Bacharach, or The Look of Love for Casino Royale, or even a little bit later on in the 1980s, early 1980s, there was Arthur's Theme. Some would argue that is uh, his his greatest song, Burt Bacharach's greatest song. Uh, even then, you didn't have a lot of original songs in movies. So that's something we uh, highlighted to start the week, and then we moved along to your place or mine, which is a, uh, a romantic comedy airing on Netflix, starring Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon. Our contributor Kristen Clifford wrote about that. Your place or mine is kind of an odd rom com. Trying, they keep trying to revive the rom com genre. I don't think it's completely dead. At some point, something's going to take off, and rom com will be back uh, for good. But in this case, this was a sort of a direct, almost like a direct video starring two A-list stars, and it kind of has an odd distinction that uh, Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher have two scenes together in the entire movie, and they spend, uh, they're they're friends and they talk on Zoom, um, but they don't actually get together, which is kind of odd considering you have these uh, A-list stars. Uh, There, Our review didn't recommend the movie particularly highly. My wife watched it because she'll watch anything uh, romantic comedy-wise, and especially anything with Reese Witherspoon in it. And she said, Ashton Kutcher is looking fine in it. And I was like, all right, fine, dear. I will uh, give him your email address. So that's uh, your place or mine. Then uh, we moved along to Valentine's Day. We published a very romantic piece by William Schwartz about the New Yorker magazine's uh, domination of the short film Oscar categories this year. Out of 15 total nominations in uh, several categories, uh, the New Yorker, Produced five, full five nominations, including two well, well-regarded animated shorts, The Flying Sailor and Ice Merchants, and three live-action um, features. Well, the feature is, uh, the first feature was Night Ride, a late-night uh, tram heist, which is a, a fictional film. And then um, you have a couple of documentaries, including one called Stranger at the Gate. And we talked about that. William Schwartz talks about that in great detail on the site this week. Then... On uh, February 15th, which was a Wednesday, a Wednesday to remember, we uh, really showed our range at BFG. We talked about uh, the diaries of Franz Kafka, Franz Kafka. Uh, Michael Washburn did a deep dive into a new collection of Franz Kafka's diaries put out by Shock Press, 670 pages. It's a translation. It's not in Czech, so don't don't worry. You can read it. Uh, Even if you speak Czech, you can read it, but in the original. It's a translation of Kafka's diaries, as Washburn put it, containing some of the purest expressions of his subconscious. So, if you're a Kafka completist, and you are, if you're listening to this show, uh, we highly recommend The Diaries of Franz Kafka. Franz, 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 I don't know. It depends on, it depends on your uh, your accent, I guess. Uh, then we moved along to a much lower brow. This is what I'm talking about, the uh, difference between highbrow and lowbrow. We talked about the uh, reboot of Barney the Dinosaur, which uh, is is coming back, Um In 2010, PBS pulled Barney and Friends from its lineup, but it is a Mattel-owned product, and Mattel is going to bring back Barney as what it calls, um, kind of creepily, a comprehensive revitalization. It says the Barney brand will, quote, span television, film, and YouTube content, as well as music and a full range of kids' products, including toys, books, clothing, or more, and it's also developing appeal and accessory for adult fans featuring classic Barney. So watch out for more Barney and more uh, Barney irony coming out. Uh, We can really look forward to that. And here's the thing. Barney is a Mattel product, right? And what's happening now is that Mattel is starting to develop a Mattel cinematic universe that has all this intellectual property, right? So you've got a Barbie movie coming out this summer. Strangely highly anticipated Barbie movie uh, starring Margot Robbie, and Ryan Gosling, and directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, They're also, Mattel is also rebooting The Masters of the Universe. J.J. Abrams is producing a Hot Wheels movie. And we also have movies based on, are you ready for this? American Girl, which I guess makes some sense. Magic 8-Ball. I'd like to see what a Magic 8-Ball movie looks like. An obscure uh, G.I. Joe action figure named Major Matt Mason. Polly Pocket, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Thomas and Friends, Uno, Yes, the card game Uno, Viewmaster, and Wishbone, which was an, at least was an actual TV show about a dog who uh, took you through classic stories, and that's all coming out. So that's something to be aware of, and that's something we pointed out and warned you about on Book and Film Globe on February fifteenth, twenty twenty three. So don't say we didn't warn you. Stephen Macaulay was on top of that as well, and we closed out the well we closed out the week with reviews of. Quantumania, and also Susie Bright reviewed Marlowe, which is a new take on the classic Private Eye, directed by Neil Jordan, and starring Liam Neeson, of all people, as Philip Marlowe, the uh, legendary Raymond Chandler Private Eye, an Irish Philip Marlowe. That's a new take. But we really close out the week with a a piece on a silent film from the 1920s called Pandora's Box, which recently got a little bit of an attention bump when Quentin Tarantino in his book Cinema Speculation, a book of film essays that we also featured on Book and Film Globe, named Pandora's Box his seventh greatest film ever made. And that has renewed a lot of interest in the movie, which was directed by G.W. Pabst and starred Hollywood outcast Louise Brooks, who has, as we've learned this week, because this was a hugely successful piece for us, a uh, last legion of fans online who still love and follow Louise Brooks as though she were still out and about doing work today. To be fair, Louise Brooks was a a writer, a successful writer later in life in the 1970s and 1980s. She wrote about sex and Hollywood and had a legion of fans. So uh, we point all that out on the site this week. So that just gives you a little sense of what we've got going on on Book and Film Globe. It's a lot. And I, as you listen to the podcast and you read the site, you know what we've got and I'm so proud of it and I'm so proud of all of our contributors. And I'm proud of Stephen Garrett, too, for going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. And he and I will talk about that right after this self-produced musical interlude. It's been almost... Five hours since we last discussed a Marvel Cinematic Universe product, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania is burning up the screens of every every screen in the world uh, right now. And Stephen Garrett published a review of the new Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Hello. So uh, you know, as as we've discussed before, I'm sort of more of the MCU guy um, on the site and on the podcast. It's always fun to see you like dump into these. <laughs> <laughs> these universes that you have like zero familiarity with you're like,
1: I, I mean is, is it a fair fight should i even bother like i kind of feel like i mean i the out guy the you know the outside looking in i guess that's what
0: well i just like the fact that you have to look at these as movies as opposed to just comic books in a long series which is essentially what they are right i mean yeah. yeah. quantum mania is the whole point of quantum mania is to really introduced this villain, the super villain for the, for the new, uh, for the MCU Kang, the conqueror who has already been introduced quite adequately in the Loki series on Disney plus, but not everyone has or watches Disney plus. So this, this is, this is it though. Like there's no mistake. You can't get around Kang in this one.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And I like the, you know, whatever spoiler, you know, beware, but I don't think I'm giving too much to say that it, it's surprising how they deal with Kang in the film and then what it points to for the future of the next movies. You know what I mean? That like, was, Ken, I, Ken, I, I,
0: Kang is choice. essentially like, he's not like Thanos who's like a real supervillain. He's like a time traveling scientist from the future or from a different universe who discovers the secrets to time and the multiverse and like, just create. He's kind of just. It's like a mad scientist, you know. Uh, writ large, like, like Lex Luthor times a hundred, um, times a million, or
1: like Rick Sanchez, right? He's basically Rick and Morty. Rick Sanchez, the yeah. scientist who has multi versions of himself all over the place,
0: right? You know, but he he's he goes back. Um, he goes back in time in the Marvel uh, pantheon back to the '60s. He first appeared in one version in the Fantastic Four, and he's been he's been around. Um, and there is, there's him and there's a lot of him and there's a lot of him in this movie and he's uh, played by Jonathan Majors. What I didn't love in uh, the Loki series, but boy, he really, he really burns up the screen here and, uh, brings a sort of a, you know, loud menace and then a subtle menace. It's a really, um, engaging performance that I think gives this movie, um, a lot more, uh, I wouldn't say gravitas, but like it, 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 it anchors it in a way that it otherwise wouldn't be
1: anchored for sure yeah and legitimizes it makes it feel less paper thin i mean did you watch lovecraft country i didn't see that but i last black man in San this guy i thought he's fantastic
0: yeah and well and he's also playing the antagonist in creed 3 coming up and basically like he is you know as a superstar at this point i mean you know kang is like a is a, an iconic villain and an iconic performance and there's going to be a lot of him and a lot of versions of him Coming up, (laughs) so we we both agree that are all
1: very different from each other, which I think is kind of fun too, right?
0: Yeah, that's the whole—that's the magic of the multiverse—is that you could have many characters played by the same actor, by different actors, by different species. The whole thing just kind of like it's—it's going off in a million different directions.
1: Yeah, and he's a very different type of king in this film as he is with Loki, right? I mean, in Loki... A little bit.
0: You know, I I was debating that when my wife and I were talking about it. Like, we couldn't decide if he was the same variant here or not because, you know, the idea is, and this is the same thing he said in Loki, too, is like, Okay, you can stop me, but there's there's so much worse out there. If you stop me, right? You know, I'm, right. I, I'm the I'm the least of your problems. All right, so let's <laughs> but let's talk about the rest of the movie. Right, basically, like it takes place. Ninety five percent of it takes place in the quantum realm, which is a world, a secret world, far beneath ours. Very very tiny. That is, in fact, lar- appears to be larger than ours, or at least trippier. But Bill, really but Bill Murray and, 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 still lives there. But Bill Murray still lives there.
1: But it also feels very B-movie. It feels very Roger Corman, like that'll be on the stars or something. I don't know. There's yes. just something very, very, very cheesy about yes. the quantum. Deliberately
0: reality. so. Like like uh, they showed a preview where I saw it at the Alamo va- Draft House of Fantastic Voyage, you know, that Raquel Well oh, right. uh, in yeah. inner space film, you know, and it, it it has like the visuals, they don't try I mean it's kind of day glow trippy. But they don't try real hard to make it um, feel real. It leans right. heavily, heavily into the CGI cheese.
1: Heav- so heavily, but also the costumes for some of the extras. Give me a break. I mean, it is like, I mean, it's like bad TV, like Battlescar Galactica or like early Star Trek, like. It's like they're not even trying. The weirdest, tackiest costume. Yeah, I ever.
0: think it's on purpose. Honestly, I think it's leaning hard, hard into its B movie roots, and and also like, it, yeah, it's like a Star Wars rip off, like Ice Pirates, you know, from the early 80s.
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> right?
0: It's like, it, good lord. It's like it's like there's a there's literally a character who is a bro- a, a walking broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where michael douglas's character yeah, that's the thing michael douglas and michelle pfeiffer are like sauntering around and all this with these giant ants you know and then Everywhere michael douglas I is go, like holy shit that guy looks the like same a monster." Like, yeah. thank you spider-man people still need help dad that's why we made this it's like a satellite for deep space
1: but quana. wait wait a minute you're sending a signal down to the quantum realm turn it off now What, what I resented about this movie is that it really doubled down on Jonathan Major's character, who is inarguably the most interesting character, and all the other characters who have, you know, to be fair, been developed over a couple of movies at this point. Uh, they, there is no growth, there is no interesting development of any of their interpersonal relationships or anything. They're just playing two type they're strictly there to set the table for Jonathan Majors and get in and get out and i was so bored with frankly the machinations it was just uh, yeah was, you
0: know it's, like, it's like we have to save our family we have to reunite with our family we have to be with our right. family and you know
1: i'm your father i missed so much time when you were a kid I, you know blah, i know blah, it's blah, corny
0: blah, blah. It's all that stuff is is super corny super well it's just
1: played out it's not so much corny as it is redundant it
0: just feels like um like a 1970s disney movie uh it, it, which this is you have to look at this like that like that's what this is, um, with a uh, really uh, in- I don't know. I, like, and I thought that I thought you know Paul Rudd uh, retained his goofy Paul Rudd charm for the most part. You know, he said he had a few little ironic asides. Like, there's, there there was a, a moment at the end after all this devastation where he's like, "A lot has happened today." <laughs> and you-
1: no, and he can sell it, and they give him that, or he brings it to it. Evangeline Lilly, I, I feel like has never really figured out her tone. Yeah, you know, for that she character, awful. through she's awful. she's awful, and the
0: wasp is such a fun character in the in in the comics and the cartoons, and she is. She, I think she's pretty awful. And I, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas are are pretty good. I mean, they you know they have a lot of
1: really good. You know, they're you know yeah. it's,
0: Michael Douglas h- has a wink <laughs> to him, and you know, and uh, for sure, and you know, Michelle. They actually, Michelle Pfeiffer has a lot to do in this because she has to. She sets up the backstory, and I don't. None of it really. None of it really matters. My my question though is like in the previous Ant Man movie, you know, uh, Ant Man, Paul Rudd was exiled to the quantum realm for five years, and yet somehow had no knowledge of any of these shenanigans that were going
1: on well, down there. This is the problem. This is the retcon problem, right? Because like Michelle Pfeiffer was there for forty years. First of all, she was there for forty years and clearly aged forty years. Scott Lang was there for five years, and yet he claims that it was only five. Yeah, but that's the Paul
0: Rudd thing. Man, there's a whole meme about how Paul Rudd. Does, you know, Paul Rudd is our age.
1: No, no, no I, I, but he, doesn't I, he doesn't look like us. us. <laughs> but but it was one of those like time went plays differently in the quantum realm, so that he experienced it as five hours. You know, so why did Michelle Pfeiffer experience it as like you know a couple years instead of forty? I don't know. You know what I mean? And also, like, already, she – Because she was already older by the time she was cast. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? But uh, also, like, there's an entire city down there and all this crap and weird people. And, like, she wouldn't have brought that up in conversation when they were like, hey, how was it? In Quantum Realm for 40 years. She didn't, she didn't say, hey, I, I met this – you know, like, okay, maybe they, – they, 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 as a toss-up line, they're like, oh, well, I didn't want to tell you about King. Why? Why wouldn't you it's tell us about No
0: Yeah, you should probably let people know that there's an, yeah. an, an evil exiled conqueror who is trapped in the quantum realm. And if he gets out, he's going to destroy everything we know and love.
1: It's so Looney Tunes. Spoiler well, alert! First movie, yeah, yeah, sorry. But in the first movie, when we see the quantum realm, it's some weird, trippy kind of purgatory, right? It's just like amorphous and right. has a lot of like and, weird. It just looks like a prog rock. And, out and they
0: and then Kang goes down there and turns it into the capital, uh, the capital city from the Star Wars universe with his tech
1: right but that had already happened by the time scott lang is yeah he. yeah i I don't know whatever it's comic book
0: yeah yeah, it's exactly (laughs) it doesn't matter well okay so speaking of comic book we need to talk about the 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 very divisive character of modok modok you know here's the thing you you were you were confused by modok so modok is like a a cybernetic organism who used to be a person and it turns into this like weird big headed killing killing machine with tiny baby feet and like has like kind of just strange motivations you know the thing is like modok is like an iconic character in marvel and there was even a parody modok series on hulu starring Patton Oswald as modok well i it was, was animated that
1: that was my only point of reference i was like i thought this was a weird throwaway Pat oswalt joke character no and it's it's been like he, he
0: modok's been around since the 60s um, and he, you know, and the thing about Modoc in in the MC, he, in this one, he is like a, a remade version of the villain from the first Marvel movie, play, who was played by Corey Stoll. Um, that's not how it goes at all in the comics. You know, he's like a, he's like someone who the bad guys create to fight Captain America. And he's like he's just his own he's his own thing. So this is kind of a weird way. To uh, bring Modok into the MCU, but I suppose with the multiverse, any ver- Modok could come back in any version. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, you know. But it's like this was kind of an odd, uh, an odd choice. You know, you were not a Modok fan. I, I was. I enjoyed watching his his shenanigans personally.
1: I, I think I was just more more uh, perplexed and and grossed out by that weird because you know when you see it act like as a cartoon, his big head is yeah. like kind of funny looking, but then you see Corey Stoll's weird distended face stretched over some odd cranium. It's just, it's repulsive. It was just very odd and gross. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's funny.
0: You can't say that the Modoc scenes were boring. So, no, that's true. You know, I was like, "Oh, fair okay.
1: point." Oh, here he is again. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: here's the here, here's this wackiness, and that's that's the thing. So, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna end we're gonna mercifully end this conversation soon. But I, you know, here's the thing: like, you know, your, I thought your review of uh, Quantum Mania was you know it's pretty fair. Like, you you know, you pointed out that it had it had some you know, Kang was extremely entertaining, and you know, it had some fun stuff in it. But I feel like there's a huge divide. In this one, between the critics and the audience, like if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, this is mm. under fifty percent, the worst-reviewed Marvel movie ever. But
1: what? Yes, really? Yes,
0: we're, uh, we're, we're tied it's with the eternally. worst
1: Dark World. What? I thought Dark World was the worst. Maybe, review,
0: maybe right? it's close though. It's it, this is close. <laughs> this is close. But the fans love it. They love it. Mm. They're loving it. You know, they're, lo- they're, they're and it's making a huge amount of money. Um, and I just feel like. There's a big divide here because I feel like people you know the c- critical community of which you are uh, a, I believe a car- you have a card right a card carrying member for that there um, is
1: there is a card that's issued that yeah.
0: I don't have, I, they won't send so. me mine for some reason but you know <laughs> I feel like there's a huge divide. I think the critics really want and the MCU to go away because they want film <laughs> to come back <laughs> they want <laughs> you know they want movies to stop being dominated by these this incredibly moronic bubblegum. Um, product that Marvel keeps churning out, but people love it. They love it. It's it's like B movie paradise. This is the MCU is B movie paradise. And so like right. I, so when I watch, I mean, when I watch something like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or Spider Man No Way Home, like those are like incre or the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Those are incredible. Those are like cheesy, garbage comic book bubblegum spectaculars. They are the B movies. Of our time, except that they are the marquee movies of our time, right? And you right, have to right. just look. I mean, at it like that—they're—they're—they're they're, they're popular for a reason because they're—they're they're goofy, fun, and weird and dumb.
1: I think. I think. I feel like the the big two part Avengers mic drop was kind of crossing the Rubicon. Where uh, up until that point, Marvel really had to make movies that could uh draw in a general audience because they, and they were also introducing characters so they were all mostly origin stories more or less and i think that because of that they worked harder to make them exciting and endearing and interesting and now they don't need to right yeah. they've already kind of introduced their their stuff they're now bringing in kind of strange characters like mordok or whatever Lodor. Uh,
0: but they still, they still. Yeah. If you look over on Disney Plus, they're still introducing characters. Ms. Mar- the Ms. Marvel series, you know, that kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like they still are bringing, and then they just incorporate them into this like monster narrative. You know.
1: Well, that's the thing. The monster narrative is becoming more of a monster, and I, I think it's harder and harder for critics to, to keep up enough for them to enjoy each movie as it comes out, and then also. Um, Each movie becomes this turducken of, you know, different characters and Easter eggs. And it's so overstuffed that I think as an average, like you're saying, I'm just looking at it as a movie. I'm not looking at it as part of this long flowing river of Marvel.
0: IP. I just look at it like it's a splash panel, like a full page splash panel on the comic book of the month. And (laughs) it's basically what it is with all this weird crap going on if you look at comic books there's like you look at these splash panels and there's people flying around and fighting and well you know and, and if there's no none of it really means anything you know so uh but you know but pe-
1: but i i i think there are times where they can be really wonderful yeah you know i mean i think they're they're i had a friend who basically said very offhandedly he was like eh he's like one out of every five marvel movie is amazing and he's like, and then therefore they're just kind of like forgettable or confusing or or unremarkable, you know. Yeah, and then uh, there's one that's amazing. Would, so maybe that's just what it's going to be. I would agree you know?
0: with that. I would agree with that. I, I, I think that Quantum Mania is not amazing, <laughs> you know. Right. You know that is not the amazing one, but you know it does do some things right. And you know it's like, and, and mostly what it does right is it it serves as a as a strange vehicle for introducing this. Um, this bad guy character who is for K yeah. right. That's the whole point of the movie. And the rest of it is just like, all right, Paul Rudd makes a few quips and let us not forget Bill Murray is in it. <laughs> Bill
1: Murray, exactly.
0: Shows up but, and you know, dominates the scene he's in.
1: <laughs> and, and then just disappears,
0: And then just, and then, then just disappears. He, he dominates
1: that kick. And then suddenly, who then, knows,
0: uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be a Lord Krylar origin movie
1: maybe maybe I, I, hope, just, you know, I hope not but <laughs> i don't but know there is very clearly a great kang movie that is on the horizon right there's Would several
0: He's kang there well there's going to be a two part avengers kang versus kang movie
1: and that that will be so fun and great
0: it'll be know? it'll be loud <laughs> it'll be it'll, it'll 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 be trippy it'll be splashy <laughs> It'll be. I feel like
1: I'm just doomed to give Marvel movies three out of five stars for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, maybe you know occasionally, every, every occasionally a four. Movie I'll
1: give it a higher. Yeah, occasionally a like, four, oh, and then
0: I can been... Well, you know, I, I I I veer between two and four. You know.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever give it a one or a two because yeah, there there is yeah. a baseline of entertainment.
0: There's a baseline of entertainment. There's a baseline of competency. There's a baseline of movie starnish, starishness. Yep. To them, you know, it's like and, and I think that, you know, I, I Ant-Man uh, to me um, fills the, you know, completes the memo. It did what it had to do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just I'm just always surprised at um, I just I, I guess like the the snuts who are like, this is this is the worst CGI I have ever seen. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, just remember what you what life was like for you when you were 10. yeah just remember 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 the simple joy you took at watching a spaceship that was obviously on strings bob through you know a a fake night sky and that's right and and then and and then just put yourself in 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 that in the seat of the 10 year old you know next to you (laughs) and imagine just watching watch their mouths drop open as they see Michael Douglas talking to Broccoli Man. <laughs> All right. Steven, Ant-Man sure and not. the Wasp, Quantumania is in, in theaters now making money whether we wanted to or not, whether people wanted to or not. Uh, we will talk to you soon in this version of the multiverse or, or another one. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Maybe. All right, thanks Stephen.
0: Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania in theaters now on Disney Plus in a few weeks or a couple of months and then in your minds as a brainworm until the day you die. I am Neil Pollack. I am the host of this show, the Book and Film Globe podcast. I'm also the editor in chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com, covering the worlds of books and film and streaming TV And so much more. Thanks for listening this week. Get ready for next week. We're going to talk about the long-awaited debut of the most anticipated movie of all time, Cocaine Bear, as well as many other topics. So stay tuned for that. Listen up. Read the site. And I will talk to you soon.